Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, it's William Holland here on another episode of the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest all the way, uh, lives in San Francisco, but all the way from uh, Tel Aviv, Israel today with Daniel. Uh, go ahead and tell you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your background and how you got into real estate. Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Daniel Weisfield. Thank you, William, for having me on. It was a blast. Um, a little bit about myself. I am 37 years old. I am blessed to be married to an amazing woman. I've got two young kids. Um, I made the very fortunate life decision to become a mobile home park investor about five years ago. I actually happened to be a third generation mobile home park investor. Uh, my family immigrated to the United States with nothing uh, from Israel. And my grandfather worked as a car mechanic. He saved money fixing cars and he eventually bought a mobile home park. So I grew up around it, um, did a bunch of other things in my career. And then finally, the light bulb went off a few years ago and I realized this is what I want to do with my life. Awesome. So I, I was looking at your bio a little bit. So you, you worked uh, many jobs. Um, you worked in the Department of State for the U.S. government. Um, you went into went on to get your JD and uh, MBA as well. So um, what path were you on? And then, you know, why, why did that light bulb go off? Like, what was that moment for you? So I was on two paths before real estate, kind of maybe you could say two career stages. Number one, I wanted to be a diplomat and I was a diplomat. And that was a amazing first job as a 21 year old coming out of college I traveled to, I think, 22 countries in my first year on the job. Um, I was in, you know, anywhere from Afghanistan to Nigeria to El Salvador to, you know, London and Vienna, like 10 times. Um, it was an amazing job. I got to see the world. I got to represent, you know, the United States, which is a country that I'm passionate about. Um, but I realized at the end of the day, I didn't have the patience to work my way up a big bureaucracy. I have more of an entrepreneurial personality and I like to zig and zag and be creative and build things. And so government wasn't really for me. So then I got the law degree and an MBA and I went corporate and I worked at a company called McKinsey, which does management consulting. Mm -hmm. I mean, we consulted to big, you know, Fortune 500 companies, help them solve tough problems. It was a super cool job. I learned a ton, very intellectually stimulating. Um, but still, at the end of the day, I was a consultant and I couldn't really right. kind of own the business. So then I left and I became an entrepreneur, right? And I started uh, investing in real estate. And I love it because when we own a community, we get to make decisions as owners um, that deeply impact the lives of our residents and also impact neighboring properties and can change the whole character of a neighborhood, the character of a city. Um, we kind of act like when we own a mobile home park, we're like the mayor, the police chief, the fire department, department of public works, um, and everything in between, right? So I get to build playgrounds and rebuild infrastructure and think about the future vision of a community. I got to expand parks. And I get to do all of that while earning a return for our investors. So I really, really love what we do. 
That's that's so awesome, man. Uh, and I guess like one last thing to touch on uh, another skill that you have along with, you know, getting to travel the world. Uh, it looks like you speak a few different languages. Uh, what what are those languages? Yeah, you, uh, you did your homework on me. Um, yeah, I love foreign languages. I think it's like a, it's a real window to the world. And when you speak to someone in their native language, you you get a different reaction, right? People open up and they warm up and you can learn a lot more. Uh, so I learned Spanish in starting in elementary, no, starting in middle school, seventh grade. And I really, I, I love Spanish. And then I learned Portuguese, spent a year in China. I learned Chinese pretty well. I, so I've forgotten a lot of it. Um, I studied Indonesian. I studied Russian. I studied Hebrew. So I, I love languages. Like it's like a hobby of mine. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm hoping at some point, you know, this real estate will take off and I have a little more free time to, to start learning my language just a little bit too. I speak English yeah. right now. Well, I will tell you, don't um, don't fall under the mistaken belief that you're going to get into real estate and it's going to be super easy. You're going to have all this free time and it's a passive income lifestyle, right? Don't don't believe the hype. I work harder now than I've ever worked because uh, I own a company and there's thousands of residents and, thousands, and hundreds of investors who depend on me. So I'm working my butt off over here. Uh, but at the end of the day, at least I don't have a boss. Yeah. So I can kind of make choices about, do I want to go on vacation today here? Or do I want to, you know, carve out this hour of the day to be with my family or maybe study a language, right? But just, just don't believe the hype that it's easy street. And I know you don't, but I'm just, just had to put it out there. Definitely. No, no, I'm hustling. I'm hustling for sure. I know you are. Um, man, so mobile home parks, uh, manu manufactured homes. Um, are you guys developing? I, I noticed recently... We are. Y'all have a, a new project starting up. So y'all are developing and acquiring. Uh, what's some of the benefits of the development projects? And then, you know, compare that to the acquisitions of, of you know, places that are already built out a little bit. That's a great question. So for your investors who aren't maybe so familiar with different real estate investments, you know, real estate investments are like any other type of investment. There's a risk and a return curve, right? And so... The bottom of that curve, which is going to be the lowest risk and the lowest return, would be a stabilized asset, right? You buy it, it's 100% full, it's already cash flowing. Um, you're going to pay a lot for it because it's considered low risk, and so your yield will be relatively low. And if you climb the risk curve, you get into what we would call value-add opportunities, where you're buying something that's got some hair on it, uh, it might have been mismanaged, it might need to have be completely rebuilt and renovated. Uh, maybe a lot as well of deferred maintenance. Deferred maintenance, exactly. So we do a, a lot of those kind of value add mobile home parks. Um, typically, for value add deals, you know, we're trying to hit anywhere between a twelve to fifteen or sixteen percent net return to our investors from an IRR perspective. Um, and then further climbing the risk and return curve, kind of the, the furthest out you can get on that curve is development right? Where you're taking raw land and you're speculating that you're going to build something of value. It's high risk. Um, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong, whether it's, you know, a problem with the market, a problem inherent to the land, um, you know, entitlement risk, problems with the municipality, construction risk, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong, right? Um, but if you manage to jump through all those hoops and you hit it right, you're getting the highest returns, right? You get rewarded for taking that risk. So, you know, on our development projects, we're typically shooting for high teen IRRs or higher, right, in the, in the into the 20s. Um, and so, yeah, we're building new 
manufactured housing communities in various markets across the country. And it's exciting to be building new neighborhoods. Yeah, that's so cool. Passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month. Some people call that mailbox money. We say money really does grow on trees. Visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree. You know, on a, a typically what I've seen uh, with maybe let's describe a value add deal, you know, so it might be it might be six to nine months before you start seeing cash flow. Um, depending on, you know, how long it takes to renovate units, um, you know, all that good stuff. So typically, you know, what are you seeing cash flows on a development project? I mean, kind of kind of what does that compensation yeah. look like for an investor? Yeah. So on most of our development projects, we're not predicting any cash flow for the first three years. Okay. We're typically expecting to start paying distributions in year three or year four once we're you know, 60, 70, 80% occupied. And that's when we'll do our first refinancing and pull out a bunch of cash to harvest the equity that we've created. Um, and then after we've done that refi, then we'll just start paying quarterly distributions from operations. And and your your plan is to hold those long-term, right? On the developments? Or are you trying to, to sell yeah. those off eventually? So we're kind of weird in the real estate world. Um, and that our whole philosophy is generational hold. Um, everything we bought, we bought it with the plan to hold it for 50 or 100 years. And that doesn't mean we're an ostrich with our head stuck in the sand and we'll never consider an offer. We've opportunistically sold a few deals that didn't turn out the way we expected and we got great offers. So yeah, we'll sell it if we get an offer we can't refuse. But generally the inbound plan is we want to build a portfolio that we hold for 50 50 plus years. Um, and that's true of our value add deals. It's also true of our development deals. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how do you, how do you educate investors? Um, Cause that, that is very unique. That's not something I hear very often, but honestly, I, I think that's very appealing uh, for myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking long-term and um, you know, how do you, how do you educate the investors on that? So I explain to people that if you look at how, wealth has been created in the world over the course of centuries. Owning good real estate and holding it for many decades or even many centuries is probably the biggest generator of wealth in world history, right? And families understand this intuitively, right? Families buy real estate and hold it for decades. They refinance multiple times and end up you know, creating multiples and multiples on their money. And it's only last you know, 20, 30, 50 years that we came up with these private equity models where a real estate sponsor gets compensated by selling a project, right? So sponsors are incentivized to sell after five or 10 years because that's how they hit their promotes. Um, so we have a whole different mindset. We just explain to people that we think the best way to make real money long-term for our investors and to align our interests with our residents that we want to reinvest in the communities as long-term owners is the whole long-term. And it's, it takes a little bit of a mindset shift, but most people get it. I, I think that's awesome. Um, that's something I definitely uh, would like to to look into more and, and have more conversations with you, have you, have you as a guest again. Um, you know, so with that being said, you know, the, the promotes that you talked about, you know, how, how are you compensated, um, you know, if you're not selling? You know, how, how is your compensation structured uh, as a general partner? Yeah, so. To keep the doors open. We, we've structured it lots of different ways. 
Uh, so I, I still don't think we've defined a universal formula. Um, one thing we did on our most recent fund, which is Mobile Home Park Fund 2, was we said we, I think we paid a 7% preferred return to our investors annually on their invested capital. Um, and then we split cash flow 70-30, so 70% to the LP, 30% to us as the GP, until we hit a milestone. And that milestone was one and a half X equity limit which is weird. We typically see IRR-based hurdles, right? We said IRR is not a good metric, so we want to hold long-term. The metric that makes sense for us as long-term holders is equity multiple. So we set an equity multiple-based hurdle. Once we get an investors, you know, all of their money back, plus half of their invested capital as profit, right. then we get into our kind of ultimate promote, which is a 50-50 split. Man. That is, my mind is being blown right now. That's a lot to take in, but honestly, it's, like- I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with other people who've done it that way. It's something we came up with after a lot of head scratching about how do we come up with a waterfall that appropriately compensates us as the GP while also, you know, appropriately compensating our LPs in this long-term model. So yeah, it's, it's exactly. a little weird. I, I, I don't mind being weird, right? It's, hey, where does it go that? I, I think, I think I'm weird for the right reasons. I think figuring out a way to hold your real estate for multiple decades instead of selling after seven or 10 years is like a battle worth fighting. Right. Yeah. And, and to go along with that, it's like, man, like if you have a really good property, you know, like why not refinance it? Why not hold on to it? You already know it's performing well, you know, it's, it's managed properly, you know, you know, it's, it's in a good location, you know, and then, and then take those, those funds that you got from the refinance and then go buy another property, you know, and, instead of, exactly. man, I, I like that a lot. That's that's really that's cool. exactly what I'm doing right now. And I, and I explained to my the people who invest with me, if if I were to sell this asset, first of all, there's transaction costs from selling. Then you've got to figure out where to go redeploy the capital, right? And who's to say you're going to find something better than the deal we already have? So the beauty of real estate is that instead of selling, you can refinance, tap into the equity you created, and there's a very liquid and robust market of lenders who will lend against real real assets on great terms. And so that's our typical playbook. You know, just last week, we closed a refinancing on a value-add park we bought called Frontier Urban Village in the Portland, Oregon market. We bought it for $2 million and change four years ago. We just refinanced at a $5 million-plus valuation. We're returning all of the capital that our investors put into the deal. And now they'll stay in the deal forever, right? They've gotten all their money back, but they still stay in the deal getting an infinite return. They'll keep getting quarterly distributions. They just got a big fat check which is non-taxable income because refi proceeds are non-taxable. Um, so that to me is like the right way to compound yeah. your wealth in real estate. I love that, man. Uh, to kind of wrap things up real fast, you know, so I'd yeah. love to hear just, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot of success um, and we'll talk about a little bit more in a little bit, but I'd love to hear about a, a loss that you've had or a mistake that's been made, a lesson learned. Um, obviously, you know, there are mistakes and, you know, Dude, I've had so many I like, I don't even want to tell you one. I want to tell you like 10. I mean, I make so many mistakes every day. Um, yeah. I mean, I can think of probably four deals that I shouldn't have bought that we bought that we're in today. Um, one of them, Puyallup River RV Park is in the Seattle market. Great location, but um, Washington state law during COVID was uh, extremely tenant friendly. Um, to the point where we've made like we've distributed zero cash on that property ever. 
Um, it's been a long, long slog dealing with, we have, we have a tenant there who hasn't paid rent in two years and we have not been able to do anything about that under Washington law. Um, our Bluebird Park in Moscow, Idaho, our Brighton Court Park in Forsyth, New York, Oak Street Trailer Park. These are all small parks that we bought thinking they'd be great value at turnaround. Actually, there wasn't the scale and the asset to really justify the turnaround. And so we've kind of been slogging along, not hitting the returns that we expected. Um, and we've learned a lot, right? We've learned what kind of deals we should and should not be doing. That's awesome. So, so we talked a little bit about losses. Uh, I want to wrap things up on a positive note. You know, obviously, like you're still taking care of your investors no matter what. Um, what's what's some of the biggest wins that you've had in real estate? What a fun question. <laughs> um, I love our Renton Highland Manor deal. That's a park that was totally neglected by the prior owner. Our tenants. Um, really we're kind of hung out to dry and we came in we fixed up the park we paved the roads we brought in new homes we put up new signage we put up new lights built a community garden built a playground for the kids it's just transformed and our residents have a pride of ownership that they never had before makes yeah. them feel really good and we've gotten i think we doubled our investors money so far and they're still in the deal it's still, you know i project our investors who put it you know $100,000 into that deal will end up making, you know, $500,000 of profit over the life of the deal, probably like 5x their money. Um, and then our new park developments are really exciting. You know, Bozeman, Montana is a good example. It's a market that's starved for affordable housing. And we bought 90 acres from an old farmer named Mr. Dykstra. And we got approval to build a new 250 unit neighborhood. Wow. We've got our sales center on site. We're turning dirt there, putting in infrastructure now. We plan to start selling homes in the next few months. Awesome. That feels really good. Makes me sleep really well at night. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, I, I love real estate and I can tell you love real estate too. And I've, I've just really enjoyed uh, learning from you today. Thank you, William. Appreciate the chance to be on your podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you, Daniel. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. And remember, money really does grow on trees.